Thank you for listening to the City Lights podcast. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. We hope you enjoy the message. My message today is called The Cornerstone of Revival. The Cornerstone of Revival. So if you would go with me to Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bible, and I think they're going to put it up on the screen for me. We're going to jump into this right away, and we're going to look at verse 11. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation because I believe it's a good translation that communicates the grace and the Father heart of God. It's not a great study Bible, but it's a good Bible to communicate the heart of God. So here we go. Luke chapter 15 is what I meant. They said 10. Luke chapter 15. I know they're sweating it back there. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Here we go. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. And shortly afterwards, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all that he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, and and for there was a severe famine in the land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Verse 17, humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing. And he thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? I want to go back home to my father's house. And I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I've sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. So the young, son, the young son sent off for home, and from a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and with great compassion, swelling up inside of him his heart for his son, who was returning home. The father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms, hugged him dearly, and kissed him over and over with love. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupted and said, Son, you're home now. Verse 22, turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, come on, quick. Bring me the best robe. Actually, bring me my very own robe. I will place it on his shoulders and put it on his, and, and I'll place it on his shoulders and bring me the ring, the seal of sonship. And I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes that you can find for my son. Let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he is found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. But the story doesn't stop there. Verse 25, now the older son, the older brother, was out working in the field with his when his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over to one of the servants and said, hey, what's up? The servant replied, it's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy the feast with us. And the son said, Father, listen, how many years have I worked like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked me as a faithful son? And I've never once disobeyed you, but you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you ever given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. I'd prefer a steak, but okay. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. And the father said, my son, 
You are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate like this and be overjoyed because this brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he is found. Father, we just pray today that this message, that this parable that Jesus spoke, that we would hear the words that you have, that it would go down deep to our hearts, that we would not just take it as another story that Jesus told, but we would hear with our hearts what you want to speak to us today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Has anyone ever heard that story before? I mean, some of you probably have if you've been to Sunday school or church at least a year. It's kind of a good message that most pastors preach once a year. And you've probably typically heard it say one of three ways or all three. One, don't walk away from God. Sin's bad. Don't do it. Two, God is a loving God and he's merciful and he forgives always. Or three, and three, don't be jealous like the older brother and be thankful for what God's given you. Now, all of those points are good points, but Jesus had a way of telling stories that didn't always answer what people were looking for, right? He is the master storyteller. So first, someone would come to him and ask a question, or the Pharisees, the religious, would challenge him, and he would always tell a story to answer or to um, connect with the question they asked. But he always told the stories that if you wanted, there was more to it. And he told his disciples, hey, um, you need the Holy Spirit to reveal these parables. Because his disciples said, what are you talking about? And he goes, let me show you. So I would like to invite you on a journey today that says, hey, maybe there's more to this story than just a rebellious brother, a prideful brother, and a loving father. You've probably heard it called the prodigal son, but I like to call it the story of the lost sons. It's about the entitled son, the loving father, and the offended brother. So let's dive in. Can you go with me on this? The first son took advantage of his father's goodness because his heart was not established in sonship, but entitlement. The belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment, a false identity, absent a responsibility of those privileges. I hear that and go, whew. He disrespected his father by using his inheritance wastefully and recklessly with no restraint, just for personal gratification. His heart did not have the capacity to carry out his destiny. He actually exchanged his sonship for slavery. Did you hear it? He, said, he spent all of it, and then he went to a farmer to become an employee. He exchanged what was given to him for something lower to be a slave. He came to his senses. A revelation is what we call that. That he'd be better back in his father's house as a slave than a son. He was expecting rejection and had to make payment for his sin. But at least he knew his father was good. The second son, or the brother, was offended. Because his heart was established in law or what we call works, the belief that performance earns you favor. That's a false identity. And doing, was, you know, and doing that was what was right for an award. He was not established in sonship, but as a slave. Do you know he was working in the fields when he heard of the party? He, dis he disrespected his father by devaluing his inheritance to a status that must be earned and worked for. He, his heart did not have the capacity to carry out his destiny. Because his identity was messed up. 
Neither son could fulfill their destiny. Your destiny is your God-given life purpose because they each viewed, okay, they each viewed their rewards to be earned in positions as slaves. Is that crazy? They had everything, but they viewed themselves as slaves at a heart level. I want to read this to you. And it takes a little bit to chew on. A heart must be established in its divine identity to have the capacity to fulfill its destiny. A heart must be established in its identity to be able to have the capacity to fulfill its destiny. We're going to dig, it. We're going to dig into this. I don't have slides. I'm sorry. I was supposed to put some slides together for you guys. So we're just going to go over this real quick. Your heart, this is the place where the depth of your beliefs, your faith, your trust, and your emotions reside. It's where the wellspring of life has made its home. What the scripture says, guard your heart above all, for it's the wellspring of life. It's where your divine spirit speaks, to your, speaks of your origins, your worth, and the Father's character. And it's pumped to your soul so that you can be anchored in rest, peace, and security. How many people want to be anchored in rest, peace, and security? Come on. The heart is where the secret ingredient of grace is revealed by truth and love. It's where the spirit is empowered when immersed in the Holy Ghost. Grace, we define it, I define as God's ability and influence upon the heart to live in the life that God intended for you in Christ. So when we, we say a heart... There's a lot of lab work going on there, okay? It must be established. That means a firm, stable base so that you can get your divine identity. Now, let me talk about identity. Our culture has a problem with talking about identity. We mix the word soul. We think it's our identity. We say heart. We think it's our identity. But actually, I want to talk to you about this. You're your identity, we're not talking about your personality, your style, your looks, your gender, your interests, your career, your disc profile, or your Enneagram type, whatever that is. <laughs> we sure like to, well, <clears throat> we'll just leave it there. We don't have enough time. This identity is your divine spirit, the part of you that was exchanged from an old creation to a new creation upon believing in Christ. It's what Pastor Emily just led us through. It's the spiritual blood transfusion and an exchange that took Adam out of you by placing Christ in you. Come on. It's the spiritual transfusion where the Holy Spirit took Adam out of you and placed Christ in you. You are a new creation. You're like, well, man, I don't feel like it. I don't care what you feel like. You're a new creation. Has everyone ever had a blood transfusion? Somebody? If you ever have, you actually don't feel it. Yeah. <laughs> Just a fact. <clears throat> but it had someone else's blood in me. Thank God it's Jesus. You get the gift of righteousness so that your relationship with the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is restored to its original design. Along with that, you also receive the mind of Christ with wisdom and the faith of Jesus. You were adopted and removed from being a slave in the field to a son in the palace. And you were made a co-heir with Christ himself. Heaven's DNA is divine nature adoption. Heaven's DNA is your divine nature adoption. Does anyone need some adoption papers? It's in your DNA. That's the proof in Christ. Ephesians 1.5, I don't know if they have it up, but it says he predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ according to the purpose of his will. And then in Galatians 4, verses 5 through 7, it says, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. 
So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's good news. Now, side note for every you all here. So half of you are probably going, you know what, Matt? I'm a female. I can't relate to this son thing. That's okay. I'm a male and I can't relate to the bride thing. We're not talking about gender. We're talking about heaven's blueprint. Okay? I know sometimes it's hard to understand, but you have to have a spirit to reveal it to you. The Holy Spirit will reveal that to you. When I talk about capacity, you remember what I said there a little bit? I'm going to bring that up. The heart must be established in its identity, divine identity, to have the capacity to fulfill its destiny. Capacity is the maximum amount of love and grace that the heart can receive separate from performance. Let me say that again. Capacity is the maximum amount of love and grace the heart can receive separate from performance. If your heart is full of I get love by performing, there's not going to be a lot of room for grace, and you're going to fight me on it. And you're going to fight the blessings of God on it. Until that gets healed and washed out, there's going to be a battle there. The brothers' hearts were full with belief that I'm a slave. That's why they didn't have the capacity to walk in sonship until that was changed. Get it? The heart can get sick. When the heart is sick, whoops, I was taking off a lid that was already off. (laughs) Praise God. The heart can get sick, and when the heart is sick, it cannot embrace its identity, receive love, or operate under grace. A belief that you're still a slave robs you of the freedom, provision, and the benefits of the kingdom. What happened to the two sons? It robbed them of the freedom, the provision, and the benefits of the kingdom. You cannot walk in the fullness of your purpose in life will will be hindered until your heart has been healed. When we say fulfill, I talked that about a prophetic spirit driven bringing to completion to reality one's desire and promise that God has spoken over your life. Does anyone have any dreams, desires, prophetic words that have spoken over your life? You're like, I don't know about the prophetic stuff, Matt, but I have some dreams and desires. Okay, cool. We can work with that. Because God will speak to you. And sometimes we give up hope. We give up hope when we don't see those things come about. We're going to talk about, well, we'll see where this goes. God's good. Destiny, this is your God-given purpose manifested through the spirit, heart, soul, and body and the current life you have now as well as what you're moving towards God has a plan and purpose for you, and he wants to see it fulfilled. He is more committed to your purpose than you are. Can I say that again? God is more committed to your purpose than you are. That's not a comparison or say you got to suck it up and do more. It just means he's that much in love with you to see it through. He is pursuing you. You don't have to chase after God. When his goodness is chasing you, all you have to do is stop and let it tackle you. Okay? All right, here we go. The heart of a slave does not have the capacity to walk in the destiny of a son. A heart established as a slave or in performance and works will measure its own effort to an internal standard that decides what it should or should not get rewarded. What did the second son do, the brother? Father, look at all the things I have done. I should be getting this party. (laughs) What? What? Really? Come on. I just revealed his heart. Can I just be real a little bit? We're warmed up 10 minutes, 15. I only come once a year, so if you're mad at me, you can talk to Pastor Kurt Demley. Here we go. This is how works looks like. 
God, I have prayed, I have fasted, and I've prayed more. I've been to church, I've given my tithe, I've helped my neighbor, and I've refrained from cussing at that driver. And I don't kick my dog, and I try to give to the red kettle at Christmas, and I help those missionaries over there. I attend church three out of four Sundays. Okay, that's just, that's a lie. Once a month is kind of what I do. But God, I am a good Christian. I've done all that you've asked, so why have you done this for, done, haven't done this for me? Why is everyone excited about Kanye who's wasted all his, his riches and on one day all of a sudden he knows Jesus and now he gets to throw church concerts all across the U.S.? Come on. God, I've been, I've been, I've been faithful. I've given, I've strived, I've prayed. I know those scriptures better than that, dude. What gives, God? Oh, come on. Can we be real? Because you're thinking to myself, oh, Matt, you're just making that up. No, 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 no. There is a big amount of the church in America that can't stand what God's done in him. Because of offense in their hearts as the brother. And God just says, well, I love you. And you're thinking like a slave, but I made you to be a son. That says always a bit of response is to speak to your identity. That's not the answer I wanted, God. I want you to do something. Hey, I love you. You're thinking like a slave, but I made you a son. Whew. Okay, what do I do with that? Trust him. When slaves encounter grace, working in another person it will be offended because mercy and grace are never fair to works and performance. Grace is not fair to works and performance. There's plenty of stories about that. The worker, the guy comes in and pays everybody the same amount. I worked all day for eight hours and I get the same amount as the guy that came in for an hour. Yes, that's the richness of the kingdom. Offense. Well, we'll jump it ahead. Or how about this? Whoo, man, I hope I'm not stepping on your toes. Everyone take your feet, tuck them under your seat. <clears throat> how about we need Jesus to come back ASAP? I've got my Rapture airline ticket, first class early boarding. I have my one carry-on. I'm good to go. The world is crumbling and falling apart. Let's get this thing in the air pronto. I ain't moving off this plane to help anyone. Let's go, Jesus. Who, who, come on. I've heard it. I understand it. But now, now we're going to get, you know, we just went down level. Kurt, I love you. If you don't invite me back, that's cool. You can always preach in my church anytime. Mm -hmm. Here we go. The greatest hindrance to revival in America are sons who are walking around as slaves. The greatest hindrance to revival in America is sons who are walking around as slaves. The greatest awakening to flood this world is happening where sons are living in their identity. We're seeing revival in Brazil, Iran, China. Believe it or not, we're seeing revival in LA and I believe soon in northern Colorado. It's happening. Why? Because the church is rising up as sons and daughters. The next revival is not a mystical move from heaven, but we do need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, like Pastor Kurt said, can manifest some really crazy ways. But you know what's cool about that? You can't deny it's God. If a glory cloud shows up, they're not pumping smoke through some vents. <laughs> Amen? If gold comes into your mouth, yeah, there's no dentist going, Zzz! Yeah, it's a real thing. God is doing miracles, and it's going to be fun, and it's going to be crazy. But this is my question to you. Here is an example of a revival prayer 
from the lost sons. My question is, which one are you praying? The revival prayer of the brother, the older. Father, I pray that my brother will truly repent of his wicked ways and turn from his unrighteousness. And honor our father by coming back to the kingdom and working alongside me so I can watch over his progress and his transformation and assimilation into earning his place and favor with the family once again. That's revival, God. Let's go. <laughs> Am I stepping on any toes? Because if we're praying for the world to experience that, they don't want to be part of it. How about, how about the entitled son? I know God loves me no matter what I do, and I definitely don't want to be working like my brother does. That's too hard, so I pray for my father's blessing to do what I want. There are others that can take care of things. I need to find what works best for me somewhere else. And how about the revival prayer of the father? I love my children beyond their understanding. I pursue them relentlessly, and I believe they will come to know who I am so they will know who they are. And that, and that they would live as sons and daughters so the world may know through them who I am. Come on. He says, I have done all the work to restore them into the family and rescue them from the destructive works of the devil. You guys have all the power in you with the Holy Ghost to destroy the works of the devil because he's defeated. We just need to give him an eviction notice. Seriously. He stopped paying rent a long time ago. Okay, you're out of here. The destructive works of the devil need to be done. And he's going to do it through you if you take it. So what is the cornerstone of revival? Romans 2, 4. This is a long verse. It says, do the riches of his extraordinary kindness make you take him for granted and despise him? Haven't you experienced how kind and understanding he has been to you? Don't mistake his tolerance for acceptance. Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance? Let me put it another way. Our good King James people. The goodness of God leads men to repentance. Simple as that. That is the cornerstone of revival. The goodness of God demonstrated in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is what will transform and revive slaves to sons. That is what we need to see happen. But there's some hindrances. There's some hindrances. What's your prayer? God, bring revival so Jesus can come back quick and we can get on with heaven? It's a good one. I used to pray it all the time. Until I encountered the Father. Until I fell in love with the Father. Until I knew how much the Father loved me. Until I got the heartbeat. The heartbeat. Do you have the heartbeat of the Father? The sons had the heartbeat, but they exchanged it to be slaves. But the heartbeat is the goodness of God. And so my prayer, and I ask, will our prayer be this? God, bring revival so the world may know your love. And God, please hold off your return until everybody has heard. I'm not looking for an escape hatch, God. I'm looking to bring everybody I can with me. Can you just hold off till we've done everything we possibly can in Greeley? Have we done everything we possibly can in Greeley to tell people that they are loved, they're worthy, they're valuable? Have we demonstrated the Father heart of God so deeply that people can't say no? And God says, oh, some of them are going to be hard and not going to say, yeah, yeah, I like that lovey-dovey stuff and say, okay, great, what you got uh, uh, healed. Let me just pray for you. You're healed. You got a devil over you? Gone. Oh. See, <clears throat> revival is not a sport. that you watch. Revival needs you 
on the field. It needs you playing. It needs you participating. It needs you. God needs you. Not to use you, abuse you, or spit you out, but to build you up, to call you out and send you out and say, hey, you've got some people that need to hear what's inside of you. This is not watching the 49ers lose. Sorry. This is not watching the Chiefs win. But I tell you what, yeah, there we go. I tell you what, that was quite a prophecy. And we can do one of two things. Well, that's cool. I'm just going to sit here and go do my own thing. And if it happens over there, that's cool. And once it, once it happens, maybe I'll show up on the back row. Maybe, maybe it's time to say, whoa, God's doing something. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. But you can't do it as a slave, can you? Who I want to read this to you. It's kind of cool. Have you heard of the fivefold ministry gifts? They're gifts that Jesus gave to the body of Christ. They're not spiritual gifts. They're people gifts. Pastor Kurt and Pastor Emily are a gift from Jesus to City Lights. Amen? Welcome them in that. But I want to say this. There's certain responsibilities that those gifts have. Evangelists tell people to come to the family. They have the ability to tell of heaven. Pastors care for the needs of the family. They have the ability to show heaven. Teachers instruct how to live in the family. They have the ability to demonstrate heaven. Prophets speak edification to the family. They have the ability to be the voice of heaven. But you know what apostles do? In a simple form, the word apostle just means one that's sent. But I believe apostles do something a little different. And this is what's really cool. The gifts of the fivefold are multiple. It's not just like one special person and we got to rub their shoulder to get their anointing. There's multiple of these. But an apostle imparts identity and sonship into the family. They have the ability to call out sons and daughters as spiritual fathers and mothers who have experienced the father. See, an apostle has to experience the father before you can birth children. You have to be able to call out identities. Does that make sense? See, revival, well, let me say this. Apostles will say, hey, you're no longer a slave. You're, you're a son. Walk in it. The word, we know the, the first son repented. And that word repent tends to have a big weight in religion. You want to know why? Because it's translated wrong. In people's hearts. Repentance (laughs) needs to start in the church, but what I want to say about that is when you look up the word repent in the Greek, it doesn't say, hey, start whipping your back with some straps, start feeling a lot of guilt and shame, crawl to the altar, and maybe God will forgive you. Has anyone heard that definition before? (laughs) What'd you say? He's seen it, yeah. Some, some religions do that. If you look it up in the Greek, it just says, change your mind. Seriously, do it right now. No, no, don't, but do it later. Change your mind. So when the, when the apostle John goes around and says, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Okay, great. So 
If he's saying repent, change your mind, for the kingdom of God is, what was he trying to change your mind about? They believed that the kingdom of God was far. And you had to earn it. And you had to work the law. And John says, repent, change your mind, for the kingdom of God is here. Draw near to it, believe. I just had to address that because sometimes our Christianese messes us up. I've been part of the mess. Praise God, we've been cleaned. Revival is one son away from leaving slavery. Revival is one choice away from a son or a daughter being who they are. Revival is one person who receives the love and grace and leaves the guilt and shame. Revival happens when one person says, I have something to tell you. All the religious law, even though Jesus said it was good, but I came to fulfill it. If you live under religious law, all it does is teach you how to be a good slave. Religious law just teaches you how to be a good slave. It actually can't set you free. Whoo, come on. But the truth in Christ and yielding to that and the power of the Holy Spirit to sustain you in your identity as a son is where freedom comes from. And I got to say this too. You cannot walk as a son separate from the Holy Spirit. You cannot walk as a son separate from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's the one that has to activate and continue to tell you who you are. And you have to listen to it. You have to listen to it. This is what I sense the Lord wants to do. I don't know if Greg went. Bathroom break, probably. I, don't. I love that guy. <laughs> when he comes out of the bathroom, tell him to strum a guitar. <laughs> there he is. Whew. Yeah, I know you are, brother. <laughs> Thank you, Father. I never, uh, Emily, Pastor Emily said this to me earlier, and this is true for everybody's story. Your purpose is always birthed out of your pain. Your purpose is always going to reflect the healing, the freedom from your pain. I'm passionate about a lot of things. Okay, let me back up. I'm excited about a lot of things. I'm really only passionate about a couple things when it comes to this. And that is, the Father loves you. He loves you. And he is open arms, ready to receive when we've made mistakes. When we've exchanged our inheritance for pigs. He is there to call out and speak out your true identity. He's calling to say, before there's revival in the world, I want to bring revival in your heart. Because he cares that much about you. My pain was my parents, um, I, I was uh, conceived out of wedlock. They got married and got divorced by the time I was two, and it was an ugly divorce. And there's, it's, a, it's a testimony for another time. But all of my childhood, my teen years, even into my early adult life, the whole of the lack of being called a son was huge. I have an earthly father, a relationship with him. I remember vivid memories in my youth group at seventh grade and thanks to the youth team, you guys make an impact. Don't stop loving. I vividly remember at a camp and this youth worker just met me, called out my name and looking back, I'm like, wow, that's kind of weird. But it was a God thing. I was like a 
tiny seventh grader put me on his lap and hugged me. Do you remember at 48 years old, I vividly remember that still to this day in the emotion. It's because of love. God cares more about his sons and daughters than he cares about anything else. He cares to see us set free and healed and made whole. He cares to to receive his embrace. But he also cares for the other brother who's been hurt and offended because he wants to say, you are free. You are free. You've always been my son. Step into that. Now, I think last week, Pastor Kurt, did a, you guys did a fire tunnel and had the spiritual fathers and mothers pray for people and lay hands. Is that correct? If I, Greg kind of told on you. And said it was awesome just imparting spiritual, spiritual fire, I think. Is that correct? Am I on the right track? I'd like to do something of a little different today. Because the church desperately needs spiritual fathers and mothers. Desperately. I love Kurt and Emily as pastors, and, and, I've, 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 and they are definitely spiritual parents, but they can't do it alone. And it's not just a title. Well, I don't have the title of pastor, so therefore I'm not. Or I'm not quite old enough. Well, there is something to do with age. I do believe there's something that once you're able to have your own children or be around children and to begin absorbing the heaviness and the weight of the kingdom and the responsibility of caring fatherhood to the world. Comes with some age, but I do know a lot of people in their 70s and 80s that are are not mature yet because they've been hurt. So it's not as much of an age thing as it's a maturity thing in the body of Christ in the heaven. And I just sense that God said, hey, here's some fire. But I'm praying that God actually wants to, it's, uh, whew, come on. He needs to set some captives free tonight. He needs to set some slaves free. And I will tell you, There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If the kingdom of God was made a bunch of perfect people, this place would be empty. Heard it? You'd be preaching to seats. We all have pasts, we've all made mistakes. But it's time to be free from the slave mentality and to be called out as sons and daughters. So I'm thinking what we're going to do, and I know Pastor, Pastor Kurt, you guys have a prayer ministry team, right? Because I won't be able to pray for each person individually, and that's cool because that's not how revival works. Revival works through the body. He has trusted people, but I'm going to, I have some words of knowledge this week that I'm going to take a step and trust that God is going to minister. And... Um, if that is you, come forward to one of the prayer teams to pray. That, that would be great. Yeah. What's up? Yeah, have the prayer team come up and just be ready. Just be praying with me, too. Yeah, thank you. See, I come from a smaller church. I don't have these resources yet. So I'm going, yeah. But we will. Okay. We're doing good. Sweet. All right. Thank you, Father. So in the heart, I talked about how there's some hindrances and there's some ability to capacity to receive God's love and grace. And I believe God just wants to wash away some of those. So um, I've given words before, but these are, these are cool. One, if this is you, you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but you've actually said, I don't actually feel adopted. Adopted. I don't feel like I belong. I accepted the salvation prayer, but I haven't felt adopted. I sensed 
There are some ones here possibly. I guess there's an upstairs too. I'm sorry, the lights are there. I can't see. All right, so if this is for you, maybe you have been actually physically adopted. You were an adopted child and you've never actually felt like you've belonged anywhere. If that's for you, I'd like you to come pray with. Thing. We'll do this all at once, so you're not like one side. So if that's for you, hold off, and then we'll have people come. So I sense there was someone for adoption. All right, this is a, this is a big one, but it was in the middle of the night last night. I felt one of the biggest things that robs you from your sonship is shame and guilt. Shame Just understand, guilt says, I've done something wrong and I'm guilty. Got it? Okay. You can be free from the guilt because of Jesus and forgiveness. We need, I'd sense there's some people that feel guilty and they need to know Jesus has forgiven them or you need to forgive yourself and you need that minister to you. The second part is shame. You know what shame is? Shame says, not that I've done something wrong. I'm wrong. There's something wrong with me at a core being. And I believe God wants to break shame off of some people tonight. Here's the specific words with the shame. I felt there may have been shame from an abortion, either having one, paying for one, or encouraging one, female or male. If that's you, you just talk to your person. It's private. Pray with them. I already talked about guilt from sin. I also felt that there's maybe shame since you've been born. There may be someone here who was conceived out of wedlock or an unplanned birth or maybe it was a violent conception and you've loved, you've, you've, you've had a, a tormenting voice in your head that says you are not valuable, there is something wrong with you. And maybe you know someone that way. Um, I felt this one wanted to say this is that there's some that said, I feel shame um, just for my body. Just the way I look. Just, just feel there's something wrong and just want to be set free from that. And that could be male or female. Okay. I mean, yes, I would love to have Tim Tebow's body, but it's not, and, and probably would, so would my wife, but, um, <laughs> Um, but it's not going to happen, so I, I love myself. I'm good, okay? <laughs> Sorry. All right. So that's going to deal with some hard stuff. And here's the last one. Offended. Like the brother. You can't stop an offense from happening, but you can choose to be offended. There are some brothers here, when I say brothers, could be a male or female, who have chosen to stay offended. And God says it's time to be set free. It's time to let this go and to start walking as a son because that offended part of you is keeping you back from the fullness of the kingdom to be a son. Oh, what do you mean, Matt? Well, I've been a pastor in this role for five years. I've had people be offended and hold on to it because our potlucks didn't work out right. Or we were asking for money to help with the kids. Or I preached a scripture that they disagreed with. My heart breaks because who cares about a potluck when their soul's dying? Who cares about the money Right? When there's people who need hope. Can we be done with the offense? This is what revival has to happen. Is the church, the ones that know Christ, we need to repent. And I'm not talking from a legalistic hard way. I'm saying it's time for us to let go of some things and embrace the sonship we're called to, to receive the love of the Father and experience the goodness of God at a deep level to set us free. Now, can I be real? Everyone stand up. I got to tell you this. Oh, boy. I got to tell a testimony that happened. My wife doesn't even know this. So now I'm going to be real personal. It's a little embarrassing. 
But during worship, Pastor Greg's awesome. The Lord set me free from something. Can I tell you what it is? Yeah, you want to know. I'm scared to tell it. (laughs) Valentine's night, my wife and I are supposed to go and leave the house by 5 o'clock. She said, I'll be ready. Didn't work out that way. I was offended. I was offended. There was an offense, but I was offended. Tell you what, after 28 years, that Valentine's Day wasn't the best, but the next day was awesome. (laughs) All right, why am I saying this? It has nothing to do with Kim. It has everything to do with my heart. So I'm saying, Lord, during, I don't know what song we're singing. It was just good. I just said, Lord, what? I just want this to be done. I'm kind of a nitpick on this type of stuff, and I don't like it. Can you show me why I do this? When you ask Jesus to show you something, you better be ready for him to show you. (laughs) I ask it, you shall receive. Okay, maybe I should preach because this is, whoa, this is what happened. When I was in fourth grade, my mom would pick me up from school. And she was late two hours and never apologized. And all my life, I was told, I'll get you at this time, I'll do that. And I was continually never picked up and never showed worth and value. And so I wrote a pain on my heart that said, Rick, if we're doing lunch at noon, you better be there at 11.58. And I, I, I'm just being real. So I just repented, changed my mind, said, Lord, heal that. Because it's keeping me from experiencing revival. So let's clear out the crap. Let's get a plumber in here. Holy Spirit has a good job of doing it. Thanks again for tuning into the City Lights podcast. We appreciate your support and we'd love to fellowship with you. You can visit us on Sundays, 10 a.m. at 4100 20th Street in Greeley. Be sure to check out our website at citylights.church where you can submit prayer requests, receive info on special events, and find our social media links. We're glad you could join us and we hope you have a blessed week.